Hello and welcome to another episode of Slightly Mental Podcast. Today, my guest is Anna Lampard. Hello, Anna. How are you today? Hi, Sam. I'm good. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. No, thank you very much for your time. I'm super happy to have you here and have a conversation about what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about shame. Yes, we are. Shame is a very interesting subject. And I have to say, um, I've done a little bit of thinking before before the podcast uh, about questions I can ask you. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those subjects that is really, we, we sort of all know what it is and how it feels, but it's not really easy to explain, right? Mm-hmm. Put it into mm-hmm. words. It's one of those subjects. Why are you so interested in shame specifically? I think it's because it's one of those subjects that just lingers everywhere and every one of us has had situations where they have felt it where they have been shamed and it's one of these subjects that is talked about there's a whole movement going on now but I feel that it there's still so much to be said because we experience it all differently mm-hmm. and it's important for everyone to really truly embrace what that definition of shame is for them that's a great segue to my second question. So how would you describe <laughs> shame? How would I, for myself, you mean, or just yeah, how, generally? Yeah, gen- generally, on the, or from your perspective, how would you describe shame? Generally, it's that feeling that we tend to feel when we've done something wrong and we've been found out and we can't take it back and we just feel like we want to fall into the ground and never rise again and we just or you feel your cheeks burning or you know that your stomach is all in a knot personally for me and my whole life experience and I have felt shame many times I've come to the point where I've tried to redefine it completely not letting myself get sucked into the general definition but Mm -hmm. have been transferred it to my own preference, I guess, in the way that I deal with it later on. And it's more of, um, I guess, a guideline of whether I'm sticking to a certain path and and doing things the way that I want to be doing, that I should be doing. And in that, I try and go through all the feelings that arise the sometimes the painful ones, sometimes the ones that you know you, you might be embarrassed of, sometimes the ones that you might not even think you had the capacity to feel at a certain moment, but trying to navigate myself to the other side. Okay. When you when you said in the beginning that general description of feeling mm-hmm. like your cheeks are burning and you want to fall in the ground, that that felt really familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I think we feel shame a lot, especially when we're kids and adolescent, because we are, um, when you grow up, you sort of redefine a lot of those stuff and you become more comfortable with yourself. But when you're a kid, a lot of those values are imposed by your family and people around you. So even though if certain behaviors feel like normal to you, people will shame you for something. I think there's a lot of shame, especially around sexuality. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think it's it it just it's something that comes with every part of, of you know every kind of stage of life that we go into and around sexuality, even though there's a lot of talk about it, there's a lot of you know letting go of inhibitions, there's um a lot of 
I don't know, ways to express ourselves sexually even, there's still a lot of shame around it, um, you know, for, for, for everyone. And yeah, go on. No, no, keep going. Lost <laughs> my train of thought. Um, and it's, I think one of the, one of the main things, perhaps I should have started also with uh, um, kind of the introduction with this is that it's really important to redefine the inner shame that we feel in regard to our own values and how I'm doing something. And also the outer shame if somebody's trying to shame us, but we don't necessarily agree with that. And it's important to differentiate and distinguish these two things because it's, they can kind of, you know, you can have them butt heads, but you can also, they can sometimes kind of intertwine and form this really immense, um, overwhelming sense of discomfort that we then have to deal with in regards to, to being shamed. So it's like, it's coming from you from the inside and somebody's shaming you from the outside. And it's, it's just difficult to grasp what's happening at that moment. I think that it's it's quite surprising and really strange that thinking about sexuality, we're in mm-hmm. 21st century and you can go online and you can see all kind of videos these days, all kind of pornographic material. Yes, you can. But when you when you we still feel so much shame around our own sexuality, identity, who we are, you can't really have a sort of healthy talk about your sexuality because people look at you like you know what what it is like what you're doing you're pervert because you talk about sexuality but then you can open your computer and see everything right so that's a bit strange in my opinion yeah i agree i agree and especially um since since we're kind of going that way it's really sad to see still that there are certain stereotypes around this way of thinking so for example it's more I guess um, it's it's considered to be more normal if a man, you know, uh, watches porn or mm. expresses himself in a way or shows his appreciation for women in a certain way. But where sleeps women, around, yeah, exactly. And then when you have a woman who likes sex, who's comfortable in her own body, who likes to dress a certain way, who just just feels com- comfortable with her own femininity and sexuality, there's all sorts of name calling and things that spring to mind suddenly just because she's not afraid to express herself that way yeah it's it just shows double standards in our society i could never understand that because yes some people say you know when i when a guy sleeps around with many women versus a girl sleeping around with with many men they Mm -hmm. uh, compare it to one key opening many locks and then (laughs) one lock being opened by by many keys but i think as long as you do it consciously and you have um, relationships safely and you are open with people that you you know you want to have sexual relationships with i think you know more power to you you can do whatever you want i don't think that we should look into somebody's else somebody else's bedroom and tell them what to do and that's really strange i agree and as and one more thing that I would like to add to, to what you just said, and, and as long as it's consensual, if people yeah. enter these types of relationships and they know the ground rules and they talk about their likes and dislikes and they just they can express themselves, there really is no shame in that yeah. whatsoever. I think I think polyamorous relationships and open relationships are more and more um uh, more and more visible, they're more and more common. 
um, which mm-hmm. in a way, you know, it's it's not bad. It's not good for some people. It's suitable, and for some people, it's completely a no-no. And it it all comes down to your values, I think. What do you think about that? I think so too. But you know, it also makes me wonder if. It's one of those things that has always been around, but it's never really been talked about. It's always been kind of hush hush. You know, we we do this kind of stuff. You know, we live in. I mean, people would, in I don't know, in in the fifties, sixties, and so on, live the perfect model family life. But you know, affairs would still happen, and so on and so forth. I'm just wondering if it's just emerging now to see the light of day that you know this 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 is what happens, and then. If, you know, if it's consensual and then if it's in line with our values, for example, that we are adventurous mm-hmm. and, you know, some, some people on the one hand long for stability in a grounded, let's say the family unit relationship where, where you have a wife and a husband and the children. However, the roles that we take on in our lives. So for example, the, the, the mother and father and, and husband and wife in that relation, the grounded relationship will also see each other not only as husband wife mother father but also as humans who want to be able to express themselves now if those two people can have a consensual relationship that they want to broaden their horizons let's put it this way and it's all okay and it's fair game then technically if everybody can you know says it's okay there should be no shame around that however if you think about it even though this is in line with these people's values and they're both okay with it, they take proper precautions and they keep their life in order. Is it something that's advertised? Well, I, I, have, yeah. I haven't seen any adverts. <laughs> you know, among friends. I've seen condoms friends. and Viagra, but I don't think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, would you have friends over coming over for dinner and say, do you know what? We, we, we're, we're swingers. We like to swing. Or some people are really open about it and I really like it. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny because usually people who are sexually open and people who are in general open, they have no mm-hmm. problem with talking about that subject. It's like they are more connected with themselves and they like uh, they are okay with it. They don't judge themselves, which is which is something exactly. they really admire. And, like. and you know what? They not only do not judge themselves, but they don't judge others. And I feel that there's a, there's this wonderful platform of compassion and kindness and understanding that is absent when we tend to you know look down on people for doing things mm. that way and that that's kind of when that shame comes in but the beauty of it is these people that, that live a certain lifestyle are so open that they don't actually care if they're being yeah. judged or not and that's that's when the magic happens you know i'm doing what i'm doing i'm doing it my way i feel safe i feel fulfilled i'm not hurting anybody and i'm just i'm fine and that's that's beautiful yeah i i agree you know everybody should be um should be able to do whatever they want as long as they don't harm anybody um yeah. i can see a click clear um, connection to sexuality in here some people are still not okay with homosexuality mm-hmm. or uh, bisexuality or whatever and i'm thinking why do i have a right to tell somebody who they should sleep with if i don't want anybody to tell me who i should sleep with you know what i mean it's like leave and let leave i don't care mm-hmm. 
what you do, but th that relates. People still have problem with because John loves uh, Brian, you know, and it's wrong. Why? Where's that coming from? What do you think? Oh, that's that's one of the human mysteries that really baffles me. And I mean, on the one hand, it's um, I don't know, maybe it's, it's 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 the culture that I was brought up in, but there's always been this kind of premise that we always love to tell other people how to live their lives. It mm. doesn't matter what our life looks like if it's a complete mess. We have this righteous kind of moral obligation to tell people you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And it kind of makes us feel better about ourselves. It doesn't matter what our life looks like and how we're living it if we even want to do the same. But I think I think maybe it's about, you know, the, the, that part where people actually have the courage to live their lives the way they want to. And others that really judge it don't. Yeah. I agree with you. We are we are quick to point fingers at other people and say, don't do this, don't do that. And usually we point out the same things that we do. And a good example is American Beauty. Uh, mm -hmm. You remember the movie? The yes, father is shaming and he I think he um he's very um he's very negative to his son because he knows he's homosexual, but he himself is gay. Like yeah. what the fuck? So we like to project yeah. all that stuff. It's really it's really weird. Where do you think uh, religion sits in there? Do you think religion have any influence um on shame? I think it has a lot of influence on shame. I think um I think it programs us to be shame, you know, receptors because it's so easy to control people to believe certain things and then to react a certain way. And I think if you if we look, you know, back in time, religion had a huge huge impact. I think moving forward, it probably won't be the same. I know you coming coming from Poland, a you know, because you are you are also Polish from a very religious and the country. secret is out. <laughs> <laughs> the secret is out, yeah. Very religious country. I mean, more and more people are turning away, not only from the church, but also from faith itself. Therefore, creating a whole new mindset and yeah way of looking at life shame included and redefining it for themselves rather than taking on a very old way of thinking and just copy pasting it i mean just just you having asked me that question sends me all the way back to you know school and religion class where we had um a nun come in to teach us things and we had to be separated from the boys during these lessons. And she told us to, you know, when you're taking a shower, do not touch yourself too much when you're washing yourself. Because you're going to have hairy palms and stuff. Like that. <laughs> exactly. You're going to go blind. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was one of those things where we, we, we were saying. And I remember having some girls in class, you know, there's in a group, in a class or you know, whatever, there's always those, those kids that are a little bit more mature mm -hmm. in their way of thinking. And I remember this girl, one of those girls saying, what the fuck are we talking about here? And she was just, no, 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 no. I will wash myself how I want to. And as many times as I want to, and she was having a discussion with this man and it turned really, really ugly. But, you know, building up that shame and the way that she was saying it, 
and teaching us. It wasn't a situation where we felt that we could ask questions or you know negotiate or anything. It was just this is this is how this is how it is. This is how I'm going to tell you how it's going to be, and you are going to follow if you want to be you know good girls, if you want to be good good students, if you want to be you know just good people. So th- they don't create um, this space of uh, allowing you to explore even thinking about sexuality. It's like, no, this is wrong. You cannot do this. And I think the danger of that is uh, because we feel we are all sexual humans mm-hmm. and we feel certain certain urges. We feel certain, you know, we have feelings. We have certain thoughts, imagination and fantasies. Yeah. And when you start thinking even, and those thoughts come to your head, and you have been told since you were, let's say, six or eight until you're a teenager that this is wrong, I think it has a potential to generate a really strong internal conflict, and it's really not healthy. What's, what do you think about that? I totally agree. I think it creates this, this conflict, which leads people to think there's something wrong with them because they have urges, desires, you know, fantasies, and they they feel the need to explore these things, whether it be, you know, online or, or, or in real life. But it just creates this kind of premise, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Because I think about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, you know, the, and the, 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 it just kind of closes the whole discussion off, you know, yeah. not wanting to share it with anybody, or even kind of, you know, just talk to your friends and say, you know, I have these dreams. I'm wondering yeah. if you have the same ones, maybe. But we're terribly afraid that we're going to be judged. And our friends are going to look at us and go, what the hell's wrong with you, you perv? And so on and so forth. So we just kind of feel... I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to say broken, but the, a deep sense of something not being right with us. And I think I think there's a really big danger with that. When, as you said, we come from the same culture, we grew up around the same religion and, mm-hmm. and pretty much probably similar values at home. And um, only when I moved away and I started questioning religion, started really find out what it is about, started on trying to understand it, the more I got the, the try to understand it and, and learn about religion, the more I felt repelled by it. And I'm not saying that it's it's religion is bad or good because mm-hmm. some people need it. Like my sister is very religious and I and I mm-hmm. feel that she needs that in her life as, as yeah. a guidance. But I couldn't I couldn't resist this um feeling that it's all driven by shame and guilt. You can't do this because you're going to be a bad person. You can't do that because you go you will go to hell. You can't make any mistakes. You you cannot be human because whatever you do wrong, you're going to be punished for it. You know, mm-hmm. shame, shame and guilt. Shame. Yeah. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> <laughs> know your name. Exactly. Yeah. I you know what? I think I think a lot of people need to believe in something and that's perfectly fine and whatever you choose whatever you however you choose to go about it however you choose to express your faith your spirituality yeah is your business i just think that the whole divine concept of of religion has somehow become distorted (laughs) along the way of you know 
being controlled, trying to control people and having people be controlled and having people just, you know, obey basically, which, which is awful. I, like I told you before, I, I grew up, you know, going to church and going to religion class. And I remember being in church one time and I thought, oh my God, this is so boring. And then I looked <laughs> up at the altar and I said, I'm sorry, God, but this is really boring. And I thought, right. I'm just going to check a few things because, you know, my grandmothers and, you know, all, all, all my, you know, family members, if you never say bad words, you can never curse. So I decided to try what would happen if I cursed in church. And guess what? Nothing. You are going to hell. I have news for you. Probably. I think that, <laughs> I think when my time comes, there'll be a special kind of door, which right in the ninth circle, I will be right there. All right. Straight to the fire. Don't worry. I'll meet you there. Awesome. <laughs> But no, staying on the subject of religion, I hope I won't get banned from, from you know, because we jumped into sexuality and religion straight, yeah. straight in there, straight in there. The most, like the third topic will be politics and we, uh, or we tick all the boxes. Um, what I wanted to say, I forgot. Um, so we jump into religion and uh, sexuality. Do you think there are any other areas of our life that actually can bring shame, the feelings of shame? To tell you the truth, I think it's basically every aspect of our lives, especially where um, th those topics aside that we talked about, where we are subject to comparison, subject to judgment, and anything basically can be used against us and we can be shamed or we can we can feel shame ourselves you know for example the way that we look body image that's a platform that is just at times begging for it you know in regard to how somebody looks if somebody's a little bit different i mean now thankfully now we live in times when people who um have unique physique features it's it's lovely to see that it's now more open and people are admired yeah. for it and that you know there's no standard um type of you know like like in the 90s supermodels had to look a specific way and they always did now it's it's a completely different standard of beauty you even have um women who are much more mature um having their pictures taken and being on billboards and ads and stuff like that because it's a it's a fact of life we look different through all of our phases of our lives and there's nothing wrong with that and there's mm -hmm. and, and there's, there's no you know there shouldn't be any room for shame in that but you know in answering your question i think basically we need to be really alert <laughs> every single area of our life can we you know we can be attacked you know for eating a cookie in public for example i once saw a group of girls walking into a costa coffee they were all getting coffees and one of them decided to get herself a cupcake mm -hmm. all her friends they didn't even have to say a word they just they just gave her the <laughs> shame look she literally took the cupcake and chucked it in the trash without having really? eaten it yes oh my god i think there's too much judgment in our society it's funny yeah. because on one side we have political correctness when people try to say oh you can't say this you can't do this you can't but on the other side we have too much judgment and i can't and i can't put my finger on it where is the where is the uh, sort of right uh, uh, moment between those two where should we mm -hmm. oh dear not an easy subject is it it's a tricky one you know um to tell you, the, I mean, to tell you the truth, I think a lot of, I mean, first of all, we're all prone 
to jumping to conclusions and you know and and having judgments and it's 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 kind of unconscious bias that we have as well even to very you know people oriented people like you and me we also tend to jump to conclusions sometimes yeah i agree we might might not you know specifically let it out but you know but we do Mm -hmm. and this is this this is the moment of this pure and utter truth that happens you know within yourself and these are often i i see with clients and also in myself the hardest moments to witness is that you really need to take a look at yourself and say all right what is this about why am i judging this person and if you really truly honestly take a look at yourself it's usually because it's fear based and because that fear means that we aren't doing something that we would like to do and we're just purely jealous that somebody else can do it. So for example, if there's a woman walking down the street who's wearing a beautiful red dress and everybody is looking at her, and you'll always have a group of people going, oh my God, look at her, what is she wearing? I would never what go out of the lot. house like, exactly. Yeah. I would never go out of the house like that, but secretly she's going, Fuck, I really wish I had the guts to pull that off, you know? Yeah, we usually hate on people that are like we would like to be or they have what we would like to have. Exactly, exactly. Unconsciously, um, yeah. And it's it's not even about exactly in particular what they have. It's just about the fact they've put in the effort to get themselves to the place that they want to be. That is what is most envied, I feel, you know? So, for example, if somebody wants to take flying lessons, you'll have a bunch of people say are you crazy do you want to die i mean you want to spend so much money and die you can just pay a hitman to get you on the street <laughs> you have the same thrill oh, and, you know and and then secretly you're thinking oh my god okay so first of all this person can afford it second of all um they really want to try something new and third of all they have the guts to do this yeah yeah yeah, I really wish I could do that, you know, and, and it, these aren't these aren't the feelings that we are able to really connect with internally and be able to even admit them to ourselves. That That's why this whole process is really internally complicated, if you think about it. Um, I agree 100 percent. And and it sort of hits home because, uh, as you yeah. know, I ride bikes yes. and I had this conversation with my mom, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a mom, she worries and she tells me, don't do this. What if you have an accident and this and that? And I openly said one day, I might have been cruel on my part, but I said, honestly, even if somebody told me that I'm going to die on a bike, I'm Mm -hmm. still going to ride because Mm -hmm. I'd rather to have some fun out of life than sit at home and wait for the end, you know, or getting hit by a bus or you know, a brick will fall on my on my head. You never know when it's gonna happen. So you might as well leave some you live a good life and have some experiences. After that conversation, sure. she probably thought I'm a prick, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. speaking as a mother myself, I think you know, deep down inside she will understand you in a way. But there's this kind of you know protective of people. I mean, yeah. I I have friends who who ride bikes and they love it. And yes, is it scary? You know, we were friends. And yeah. yes, of course, if you would t- if you tell me that you're going out on a bike and that you like to ride and, and p- perhaps you like to go really fast, of course, in the back of my mind, when I care about people, I think about, oh, God. But I would never say, don't do it. 
don't yeah. do it because you might get hurt. Don't do it. It's 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 not about that. You can't crush people's dreams. That I'm not saying that you know me saying something like that to a friend would crush their dreams, but it's just about it's 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 better left unsaid in a way that you know you say to somebody when you're going out on on a bike, be safe, take care, you know, enjoy yourself. And it's always kind of in the back of my mind because I mean, like you rightfully said, we can go out of the house and get hit by a car and never come back, yeah. and it just is but it's it's important to just to be able to do what we want to do even though it's difficult for other people to comprehend except yeah yeah i agree and and even looking at people doing extreme sports uh yeah base jumping for example or the wingsuit yeah. flying and stuff mm-hmm. it's um it is extremely dangerous but if you put yourself in the, in the shoes of that person they, they would rather they would rather not be here anymore than just sit at home and then be a, have a boring life because for them that's life that's what fuels them that's what makes them feel alive the, the whole purpose and sense of their life is in that everything they do is to for example make money to be able to afford equipment and trip somewhere mm. to another more extreme um location and so on and so on I feel like we're walking away a little bit from shame, so I'm gonna. Ask, I think, I think <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a question uh, just to get back on track. Um, yeah, I, I, on. I have a tendency to go off on a tangent. Uh, what would you say is the difference between shame and guilt? Oh my goodness, that's a good one. Mm, I only have good questions. Mm, it's very true. Shame and guilt. I think that guilt is the aftermath of shame <laughs> if i have if i have to kind of um you know personally my own kind of personal definition yeah i think that and they don't necessarily but they don't necessarily have to go together mm-hmm. i think it's very easy to confuse these these feelings but i think for me personally um shame is more associated with the fact that you know somebody's pointed something out to me that i have done wrong or i'm being mocked or laughed at or just ridiculed in some way whereas guilt is more in line with with my values that i haven't done well according to my own standards okay and this kind of sinks a little bit deeper for me what about you? What do you think? I, I thought you were going to ask me, what am I ashamed <laughs> of? Um, <laughs> what I've done, I've done a little bit of digging before we started. And, and mm-hmm. it's, as I said, it's not, an easy, uh, it's not an easy question. And I've read a quick article about guilt versus shame. And yeah. what they said is guilt, you feel guilt when you know you have done something wrong in line with your own values as you say or yeah. somebody else's values but you judge the action and shame mm-hmm. shame when you judge yourself your whole being based on one action that you took so for example you've done something you think i've done this wrong therefore i'm a bad person la, 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 mm-hmm. and that feels your shame um but as you said it, it's going to be a different for for different people yeah, I agree. But, but you know, I have to say, I really, I really like that kind of really uh, sums it up nicely. Um, 
and it's also kind of a, a good way, or like a road sign, you know, into what what exactly we are feeling that and that guilt is is to do with a certain action, right? And that she, and that it's rightfully so that shame just kind of goes through all of our layers and it can cut really, really deep where we just end up feeling like we're completely useless, you know, for for for, for whatever reason we've been shamed. So, how do you think shame can affect us? It can be devastating. I think it can stop us in our tracks. I think it can make us feel like we don't accept ourselves. And we really stop seeing our true selves. And then we basically stop caring for, for, for ourselves. And it can really make us see see ourselves through these you know really awful lenses where everything is just distorted and we just can't seem to find a place to fit in okay so you, we could cause a lot of uh, self-judgment and mm -hmm. self-negative judgment uh low self-esteem potentially um, yeah. do you think it can lead to um, mental health problems i think so for sure you know if if you know for example with, with children if they're brought up in a family where their parents constantly tell them you know you need to do better in school you need to do better grades you know everybody's doing better than you are you know you're a fool for not knowing this what's the matter with you that you don't understand this and you know you shame kids that way and ridicule them for not being able to pick up something very quickly or you mm -hmm. know just just do better it's kind of like, you know, dropping a little droplet of water in a rock. If you do it long enough, it will leave, you know, a dent. And this is what happens. And then people kind of, you know, enter, if we're going along with this with this analogy, people enter their adult lives thinking, I'm, I, there's something wrong with me because I know that I just, I can't fully believe in myself and do what I want to do. Because all my life I've been told that I'm, I can't amount to anything because I wasn't a good mm. student, for example. And then yeah, we enter our adult life by some miracle thinking that we have gone through college, gotten jobs, and we're just, you know, we're, we're in it and doing, but still, you know, expecting or even hearing very often that, you know, we're not, we're not really that good. I can definitely relate to because all my school years, I've been told that I'm quote unquote talented, but lazy. And yeah. only only in my adult life, I realized that um, I was just not interested in school. And when I'm interested in something, I'm, I'm super focused on that and, and I can mm -hmm. learn. And, you know, reading first books uh, from psychology when I was, uh, I don't know, 14, 15, mm -hmm. I could sort of read it in, in a jiffy. And I was like, mm -hmm. really? I can read a 300-page book? And yeah. it was because I was reading something I was genuinely interested in. And when you have all these books in school, which which relate to nothing and they are about nothing, it's just like, oh, not again. <laughs> so I can relate to that. All my life I was told that I'm, I'm, I'm talented, that I have potential, but I'm just lazy. And later on, I had to sort of reparent myself and reframe it that I'm not lazy. I'm just not interested in all the bullshit that you were trying to put in my head for 14 or 16 years. Um, so, yeah, you know, all the teachers watching this now will be like, ah. <laughs> I was just going to say, what if you could go back in time and tell mm -hmm. them what you think? 
Can you imagine seven-year-old me? I'm not lazy. I'm just not interested. Exactly. I don't think that would sit very well. I don't think it would sit very well either. I, I just, I can't imagine, any, unless you have a very kind of specific type of teacher who's very open to seeing children as individuals and trying to help them learn. Yeah. But you see, reality is, for example, I, I could never understand physics because mm -hmm. if you're going that path, let me just, just share a story. I could never understand physics, for example, in school mm -hmm. because it was only numbers and uh, equations and nobody we never had any experiments and nobody could really uh, explain why this is that way how it works now i'm really interested i'm interested in quantum mechanics um quantum mm -hmm. physics and all that stuff because it's really interesting but when you have somebody who can explain that in relatable terms who can show you experiment why this equals that and that yeah uh, it becomes a sort of visual um representation and it's not just a number or a letter that you have to memorize so it's always rubbish at that uh, in school but now it's yeah. so interesting but you know i think it's i think it's because and this is not to diss on teachers i know teachers do an amazing job and it's an it's an amazing um career to have i just think that 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 somewhere along the line some some people forget that you're teaching others who might not necessarily have a knack for it be interested in it just you, you, students just view it as something to get through and mm. i think that they forget it's important to make it real yeah you know for you probably heard of richard Feynman. he was an amazing huge brain but also an amazing teacher he made it real he explained it to people in a way that they could understand and now that i'm even thinking i remember in high school um we had a history teacher who unfortunately he passed away um not so not so long ago um, but he was amazing. He would tell us facts and that went way beyond the textbook about people taking parts in wars and, and certain strategies regarding things. And he would make it more real, you know, what, what they liked to eat, for example, what they liked to wear, that they, some of them were promiscuous and so on and so forth. And it just made it a whole different learning process because, like you said before, they're relatable. Yeah. Like, okay, so these are not just like names and dates on paper. There's actually real people behind this. It's it's really awesome when you have a teacher who's genuinely interested in the subject that they teach, and mm. they can they can uh, sparkle an interest in you. Um, yeah. So, but it's I think it's really rare. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to all the teachers who are listening. We love you all, mm. but you know it is what it is. We know that it's not your fault. It's the system. Wink, wink. <laughs> Um, okay, let's go back to shame. Um, we're going off topic a lot, but I don't, I don't really care. Don't mind. The question is, um, do you think that shame can be useful in any way? Can it be useful in any way? That's a good question. Um, I think it can be useful if we have a healthy approach. In that, I mean, if we are able to when faced with 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 shame and feeling certain things if we're able to really take a look and say and ask ourselves a question okay is this what's happening is it really mine this is something i like to use with my clients when defining uncomfortable situations and and trying to move forward that it's when when a certain feeling arrives so for example shame comes in i'm thinking okay is this what i'm feeling is it really mine so it's like it's kind of like 
an indicator. And if, you know, an indicator, if we, what we are feeling is, is it because of our own internal definition? Mm-hmm. Or is it because of, of some sort of learned behavior or learned definition that's been brought upon us and we tend to see life this way? So if anything can good can you know come out of it is just to come to the point where we need to really specify, is this according to my own values? I like that sort of... Um stopping for a second and asking yourself is that really mine or is somebody trying to impose it on me if it's yeah. shame or guilt or something else um yeah that's really good i'm gonna use that <laughs> please please i have to say a lot of my clients really like that and it, it's it's one of these questions that's so simple but it can really really work wonders and to the point where i remember in one session i asked the client and it went quiet <laughs> for about 15 minutes didn't interrupt just held the space and it's just it's it's a profound profound question where you're able to also grab one of my one of my favorite things ever as well in regard to um psychology a meta moment where you can just relax for well relax take that moment and see if what is happening is requiring me to react one way or another make a choice Mm-hmm. decide what is going on here but you know just using that question what is mine is, is this mine what is mine it really really brings you to this moment of being able to take responsibility and take power and, and find your power in a situation that's uncomfortable so you know for example in in shame if somebody if somebody said to you you ate too much pizza you know oh, that's definitely true especially in, <laughs> in recent months that <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like you know quoting friends um a minute on the lips forever on the hips hmm. and you know and you can and you can respond you know in, in that oh dear yes you're right oh my god or just you know hide your face and just go away or just say yeah i like pizza so now i'm definitely past that stage in my life and i'll be like <laughs> yeah Look at my belly. That's prosperity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just take two slices. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, just just have a bit of fun with that. But not not everybody is uh, sort of self aware to that point, and and definitely we impose uh, guilt and shame on each other. And from listening to you, I can't help thinking that a lot of mm-hmm. shame and guilt is related or come from judgment, really, isn't it? Yeah. I think so. Because it's only when somebody imposes their own values or judge us according to what they think is right, or we start judging ourselves. In I think only in those situations we feel shame and guilt. I think so too. And I think it's a fascinating process that, that there's these moments where it it doesn't really matter who I mean obviously we have people who we admire who we look up to who who we we uh, we like to take advice from and so on and so forth um, but sometimes when people express judgment it's it's amazing how quickly we start to second guess ourselves mm. you know and at one point you know you'll 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 go into this kind of super defense mode it's like nobody's going to be talking shit about me while I'm here you just you are you go for it and you just you push back however 
that shame you take away with you and then you sit over you know later with yourself and you sit at home and you're thinking mm, and you still you kind of feel that kind of weight I don't know I, I feel I that feeling for me is always kind of like a weight that's you know starts in my chest and goes down to my tummy and it's important to recognize that sometimes when we feel these feelings it might be because we still have some issues hanging on ourselves mm. in that respect and developing self-awareness is a lifelong process and it changes yeah. in every stage of life that we that we enter it just it's some you know for even going along with shame so in my 20s shame was different mm. and defined differently than it is now in my 40s and you know i used to be so ashamed of a lot of things and people could really easily shame me and now I have a lovely, I, th I, I think I have a lovely def you know, defense mechanism myself that if I do something, you know, for example, classic, you're walking down the street and you trip, <laughs> or, you know, you're drinking a coffee and it, it goes down your throat, you know, instead of going down your throat, it goes down your neck and you're, you're walking around with a stain. Just laugh at myself. I laugh it off and mm -hmm. I find it, it's much more light and encouraging and you just don't care that much anymore. Because, you know, yeah, go on. Yeah, I think I think it comes with age, isn't it? I used to be very insecure when I was younger. Yeah. I used to be, I used to be very skinny. I used to be quite shy, and uh, as you can see, a lot has changed. But when you grow up, I, as you say, sense of humor is is a great tool. It's a great yeah. uh, coping mechanism. And when you when you get a bit older, when you pass your sort of twenty five, then your thirties, and and you pass that sort of thirty something mark. You accept yourself more and you don't care even even if i go out and have a stain um of coffee on my shirt and people can point at me and laugh ah, I, I don't think i would care it's just like yeah it's coffee i just spill it just the just the way it is deal with it it happens exactly yeah, exactly but, you know, but to tell you the truth i have never ever in my life been faced maybe i don't know maybe i was lucky in a situation where i have kind of openly oh dear you know i have a stain or, or whatever i i messed something up and just honestly open and honestly said something about it that i have never that that some people have not related with that and yeah. that they resonate with them immediately so you know for example i was picking up my son at school this was ages ago and uh, one of the dads came in and he, he was new and we were having a chat and he i, <laughs> I had a really big stain of orange juice actually on my shirt because i had spilled it on myself and I and he looked at me and I and I knew he was looking at it. I said, yes, you know, I just I, I like a little bit of orange juice on my white T-shirt because I just think it brightens things up a little bit. <laughs> I like and he, he was looking at me. He didn't say a word. I'm like, oh, and it's like, shit, where's this going? You know, is he going to walk away or whatever? Anyway, he unzipped his hoodie and showed me the biggest tomato sauce on his shirt and said, I just had lunch with my little boy. <laughs> so, you know, we kind of connected on that level. And again, I've never, ever, ever had a situation, whether it's been, um, I don't know, having trouble with a suitcase at the airport or whatever, anything, car trouble or whatever, when you really, truly, you're okay with messing up or you're okay yeah. with, you know, you know, not doing something perfectly, that people really pick up on that and just, you know, it's, it's relatable because it's human. Yeah, exactly. You, you you show your human side and it's easier to relate uh, for other people to relate to you. 
and connect with when you when you try to pretend that you're perfect and you know I'm always okay. exactly um yeah so you, you know what just yeah can I just just jump in quickly I think you know the, the thing with judgment I think the the kind of key thing is if we ease up on ourselves we can really ease up on on other people as well mm. I think we hold ourselves to such such high standards, and we tr- or at least we you know we try to, um, you know, be the best versions of ourselves. But in that, and not in that respect that we work with what we have, but we have this ridiculously crazy expectation to be perfect all the time and to look perfect, be perfect, succeed, and all. all and therefore, if we don't do that, we just kind of jump into this mode of criticizing ourselves and and being judgmental and. And, you know, and it, it just it just all goes wrong and ends up spiraling to, you know, being ashamed of not being able to do many things. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you kind of let it go, don't stress over it so much, learn to laugh about certain things. It's just so much easier to get to the next level. So, yeah, OK, I messed up a little bit. Fine. Yeah, it was whatever. It was funny. Somebody laughed at me. I said, ha ha ha. You know, if somebody's laughing at me because I spilled something, I'll just say, I'm glad I could make you laugh today. Mm. It's a good thing, you know, and, and again, it's a funny interaction and, you know, just on to the next. That's it. It's usually not actually what you do, but how you deal with, with the aftermath that counts, yeah. isn't it? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. So before you mentioned that when you were, when you were a young girl, you, there was quite a lot of shame coming up for you. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, um, what would sort of cause you to feel shame? What kind of things? now or that or when i was when you little girl. Were younger oh god i had so many insecurities that it was basically everything i mean to, from from what i look like to a, literally sam anything a little bit of background i when i was six years old um i left with my family and we went to live in the states so before that living in poland in the early 1980s um being ever so slightly different because for example you were supposed to you you could leave the country at that time which was very difficult it was already a whole bunch of you know um comments and things that my parents must have done something or were getting kicked out and so you know leaving that with that was this kind of huge weight of oh, something must be wrong it's you know i've always been pointed out she's the one that's leaving then having gone to the States and being the Polish girl, mm. along with the other Polish kids, but we were always ever so slightly different because we weren't born there. Um, to then when growing up, um, my hair got curly. So that was just a big major thing because all I ever wanted to do was just take an iron and straighten it out. Come <laughs> on, you like have everything. awesome hair. Come on. It was terrible. It was, it was that moment where I kind of hit puberty and it went, Poof, and it was short back then. <laughs> I looked like one of those, what do you call it, those chia pet things, because it was really short. It was, oh, it was uh, that was like, oh. um, but mainly it was, it was just, be, just because it was different. And I used to be, feel really, really ashamed because people would point that out. And then when we came back to Poland from the States, I was in the sixth grade. And this was a time, you know, everybody was hitting puberty. And I mean, I literally wanted to wear hats all the time because I was so ashamed of my hair because it was different than everybody else's. 
And then it was the fact that I wasn't speaking Polish um, very as fluently as you would be expected to in the sixth grade. I had huge, huge, and to tell you the truth, this was such a huge deal for me that I never really truly felt that I caught up like I should have. Um, I had a huge gap in my math academic learning process due to what they did in the States versus what they did in Poland in yeah. the sixth grade. And I, and I just, I got so stressed that I was never going to catch up that I don't really feel that I ever really did. And it just, it was a huge, huge mental block for me to be able to, to learn that. And I always felt like I was just kind of, you know, trailing behind everybody else. My handwriting was also different than everybody else's. My clothes were different because we had come from a completely different place, a completely different market. From the land what, of the free. <laughs> and the home of the brave. Yeah. Um, a totally different America back then, by the way, which I, when I think about it, I just, it was, it was a great time there, but it's, I don't think it has anything to do with the way things are there at the moment. But um, yes, literally everything, every single thing was, it had gotten to a point where I just felt so stressed about everything and judged about everything that I kind of shut down and stopped responding to any kind of, you know, comments, even to the point where I remember it was very difficult for me to accept a compliment. And I remember being in high school. Um, I was in a really awesome high school. And if any of my friends are watching it, hello. It was a great time with great teachers and great people. And I remember one more than one occasion where you know the guys would come in and we would all say hello and somebody would say you look nice and i was like oh. and one of my friends said he said why can't you just take a fucking compliment can't you just say thank you <clears throat> oh and it was kind of an eye-opener and i was thinking yeah but if i say thank you then maybe you think that i think too much of myself and he's like no it's just a thank you i noticed that you look nice today i like your sweater mm -hmm. that's it and i started to thinking started thinking that maybe there's a lot more to this than I thought that there's you know there's there's a whole different side of this cycle but yeah as you can see a lot so hmm, I think that when we are young as you say we care about the opinion of other people because mm -hmm. we're developing ourselves so uh, there's there's many more things to be ashamed of or feel guilty about um, but what about now? What kind of things do you uh, do you feel ashamed of or guilty about? If you want to share, you know. Of course, I want to share. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of thinking, what do I feel ashamed? Hmm. I'm asking because we sort of determine that when you grow up, you start caring about people's opinion a bit less. Mm -hmm. And you use more humor. You have a bit more distance to yourself. Um, so I'm really curious um, what would be the difference? What kind of things would make you feel ashamed now? I think it would be if if I did something, um, first of all, intentionally to hurt someone. That would definitely cause me to to feel ashamed. Um, and even even unintentionally, I guess, because I, I really genuinely care about people and and I, I like to help and I like to to be there for people. And I think that um, that, you know, just if any course of my action were to hurt someone, that would really, really make me feel awful. Um, and I think it has more to do with 
um, actually doing things rather than with um, how I appear, mm-hmm. how what people's impression of me is in regard to, you know, uh, the exterior, for example, whereas, uh, you know, a while ago that would have been, you know, I'm not going to wear that because I don't, you know, I feel, don't feel comfortable. And if I stand this way, then they might see some sort of back fat or whatever you know, that kind of stuff. But now it's, 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 it's more about, I guess, if I'm acting in a way that's that I'm not being authentic to, to my values and, and okay. I guess it would have to be around, you know, hurting, hurting people or not, or not being able to be there, you know, for, for someone. What would you say is a healthy way of dealing with shame? A healthy way of dealing with shame. I was um, just reading a few things before we sat down today. And there is a wonderful, um, well, Brené Brown has tons of research and she's, she's done, I think, the world a, a load of good in regard to talking about shame and vulnerability. Um, I think that what you would do, if it's okay, I hope we can do this. I'd like to read it because it's, I think it just, it best describes what to do. No worries. If I if I go to prison for copyrights infringement, you're just gonna send me uh, you're gonna send me packages. Go for it. I'll send you a care package and I'll visit you when the whole COVID <laughs> thing blows over. Don't worry. I'll, I'll bring pizza. I'll bring pizza. <laughs> okay. Cool. Deal. All right. So, um, they, they, um, there's a saying that's that shame is the swamp land of the soul. Okay. And what Brené Brown has said to that, that the purpose is not to construct a home and live there. It's to put on some galoshes and walk through and find your way around. And I think, I think you know, for, to me personally, that really resonates because once we kind of get into a situation where we start to feel shame and guilt and judgment, and it's, it's very easy to kind of, you know, set up a little camp in there and, and linger and wallow and think about, oh, I shouldn't have done that, whether it's just, you know, the putting on the shoes and walking through it it's just it it really resonates that it's something that we can get through so if it's if we're in the moment let's ask ourselves a question you know what's happened well, how did i get here why am i feeling this mm-hmm. is this serving me in any way what what is the lesson from this situation and with that kind of power through to forward and just come to the point where you know sometimes even if we can't really do anything about the whole reason of why we feel and why why we feel ashamed for example you know we've, we've hurt someone and we for example we apologize but they don't accept our apology just need to move on and understand that i've tried my best and i just need to let it go and not linger yeah, it's almost like me. We're going back to this idea of being okay with uh, making mistakes. Yeah, exactly. But you know, if you think about it, there's, there's again, there's this whole kind of stigma around making mistakes, and um, I know because I've lived a lot of my life thinking that it's terrible to make mistakes, and you're not supposed to make any mistakes. Therefore, if you don't do anything, you don't make any mistakes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But, that and that is just that's a shit show waiting to happen, really, because you don't really get to experience anything, whereas now even you know with with my clients with my children go make mistakes learn because the lesson that you learn from making a mistake is yours forever yeah and it's also tailor-made to you and it's funny because 
when we grow up, for example, especially young guys are, are told not to fight, not to misbehave, mm-hmm. and yada yada. But funny enough, you see those kind of people becoming the most successful. For example, if you look at Mark Wahlberg, he'll tell you, you know, all the bad stuff he's done in the past. Uh, it's sort of in a way like a rite of passage, I would say. No, don't listen mm-hmm. to me. If you're listening, no, that's not a rite of passage. <laughs> but in a way, you just allow yourself to explore and make mistakes and you learn. And when you when time comes and you mature a bit, you think, well, I don't want to be a dickhead anymore. I want to do something yeah. productive with my life. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, go on, go on, because I, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. It's no, apparently a very, a very Polish show, thing come to on. do. Come <laughs> on. I'm, I'm here just to ask questions. Um, I think, you know, the, the value in these lessons, but also the value in ex- the experience that we let ourselves go through, yeah. it's it's priceless. You know, even if, even if you know, sometimes when we're kids and we're teenagers, we kind of tend to mess up or, you know, get ourselves into situations that you know, with hindsight, you necessarily think that it would be a good idea to ever do again. But the fact that we have that experience to look back on and then be a kind of, you know, warning sign. Okay, so I've been through something similar and it's not a great place to be and I wouldn't want to put myself in that situation again. And it's not only just because you hear it from somebody that somebody told you, it's because you've actually experienced it. So you know, if you if you take the you know the most simple analogy, children. If you tell a kid, don't put your finger in the fire. How many kids are actually going to take your word for it and not do that? They'll wait until you turn around. Yeah, put that finger more in likely, it. isn't it? That's that's how. Yeah, of course, up. absolutely. And it's it's because it's 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 curious. It's it's human nature to be curious and to to try it out for ourselves. But then you have that specific kind of you know feeling of I tried it and I know what what it feels like to burn my finger in a in an open flame. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah I've learned my lesson. Exactly. Yeah I agree. That's why that's how we learn. That's the that's the quickest way to learn. So our 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 relationship with failure and mistakes, I think it's uh it's not the greatest because we feel mm-hmm. like when you make mistakes and, and you fail at things it's like you're doing something wrong, but actually that is the quickest way to learn. Sure, absolutely. Learn. You know, one of the things, if, if people come into coaching sessions being terribly afraid of, of failing at a specific, they have, they have a specific goal in, in mind. For example, they want to get um, a dream job and they are just paralyzed with fear that they'll never get it and, and they'll be just a total failure. Their life will end if they don't get this job. and then we get into talking about, you know, what failure means for you. How, what's your experience with failure? And a lot of the times, people don't actually have anything tangible to say about failure because they've done everything to get to the point that they haven't let themselves fail. So what I try and do with clients when working on this is to tell them, right, go and fail. Mm-hmm. Your homework from session to session, you go out, go and fail. What about doing what? something insignificant even, but the outcome has to be different than you would like it to be. Go and specifically fail. And it turns out that it, you know, it, it, it's not as bad. I mean, obviously, if it's something that we really care about, we really want to happen, that's also a lesson to be learned. But more often than not, it's not as bad as we think if we look at it from a different perspective. So it's a learning opportunity. 
It's a growing opportunity, you know, and it's it's okay to, to make these mistakes because then we learn for, for future references. Hmm. It's facing that fear, isn't it? Is yeah. The, it's the best way to get rid of fear. So if you're afraid of of uh, failure or um, making mistakes, go and make some on purpose. As you say, start with something insignificant. Don't go and crush your car. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just something small and uh, realize that um, it's like, for example, my my big um, my big thing is fear of heights. I don't know where it came mm -hmm. from, but sort of in my twenties, I caught up with this idea that actually I'm not very good with heights. Mm -hmm. And and the best the best thing is face your fear. The best yeah. way to cure your fear is to face your fear. And I did it a few times. For example, I went to Bristol um, to the uh, suspension bridge, which is around 100 meters above the ground. Mm -hmm. and, and you feel fear, oh my God, I'm going to die. But then you cross the bridge and you think, well, I didn't die. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. I, did, I didn't die. It, it, yeah. it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah, and on the way, actually, it's a quite nice view and a nice breeze. Let's never do it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but you, do, you do sort of bigger and bigger challenges. That's how you overcome fear, isn't it? Yeah, but it, it, you know, it's, it's completely leaving your comfort zone. But yeah. And, and I, again, I think that this is something that uh, really needs to be underlined. Every time we take a step and we broaden our comfort zone, it comes with a price. And that's not something, again, to fear. It's a lesson to be learned. And a really, really valuable one, because every time we want to go out and achieve something, do something, learn something new, take on a different role in life, there's always going to be, you know, a, a bright side and a dark side. And that's something that has to be, there has to be a balance. This is just the way life works. You know, we have the good days and we have the bad days and, you know, learning to balance these things out. But it's, it's just the way it is. That's part of the package. We're all here. We all work in different ways, but everybody has to deal with that. Plus, it's, it's also something that it's, it's not really talked about, that when we face our fears, and there have been many, tons of documentaries, a lot of people on YouTube talk about these things. Probably a lot of friends also can, can say. I remember having this discussion with, with a friend here in London that he had a fear of the water, of being pushed into the water, falling into the water and decided to face that fear. He now does these free dives where he goes in really deep without any tanks or anything. And the fear has changed into this amazing, I don't know if you can call it a hobby, maybe for, for, for the sake of the conversation, let's call it a hobby, where he has said that when he goes under, I'm not even sure how deep, but very, very deep, it's the most serene place <laughs> on earth that you could possibly find as well as learning to work with your body to be able to hold your breath for a really long time. I've noticed that it's the case quite often that people who fear, uh, sorry, who face extreme fear, mm -hmm. then go the other way and they indulge in that uh, activity yeah. and actually in a way that brings them peace. I think it comes mm -hmm. from the space of, I have been afraid of this thing for so many years. I have faced it and I haven't, uh, I haven't died. Nothing bad happened. Um, I feel like it's related to this feeling of strength. I mm -hmm. This is still related to my deepest fear and I'm here embracing it and nothing mm -hmm. bad happens. I'm, you know, uh, like I think Alex Honnold, who is a, a free solo driver, free solo yeah. free, uh, climber, not diver, um, yeah. documentary about him and he said the same that in the beginning he was afraid of heights now 
without any yeah. ropes, without any support, he climbed the most extreme mountains in the world, which is crazy. You know, I think if if anybody is to look for any kind of inspiration, it's to watch him. First of all, prepare for his um, pre-solo climb, El Cap, and the the mindset that he has, and how actually the fact that we feel fear shouldn't be an obstacle not to do something. Mm. What it should be is a factor that we take into how much we want. I think you know sometimes now that, that when you were saying all this, I just kind of found myself thinking that is actually fear a kind of i don't know a price or a trade off that we feel for something that we really really want but we don't know how to get to or we just don't know if we have the capabilities yeah it could be you know for i don't know i'm just it just kind of popped into my mind at the moment yeah because we usually have fear around things that we really want to do but it's, yeah. it's the fear of unknown the fear of failure the fear of being judged but um mm. I, i can relate to that is when you when you try to change something in your life and you want to try new things you will be afraid of them and um very often people just back down oh i'm afraid of that therefore that's not for me This is, yeah. this is negative. This is bad. I shouldn't be doing that. Whether the opposite is true, if you're afraid of that thing that you really want, that means that uh, this is the right thing to step into your fear and go for it. Absolutely. You know, I'm just kind of thinking back to what you said um, in the beginning of, you know, having moved away from home and getting a different perspective yeah. around things. And um, oddly enough, this kind of links to the religion part of our conversation. I just actually remembered I was on my way um, to London. Um, my husband actually was working here already and um, me and the kids were still living back home and um, his company was having a Christmas party and they said, you know, since you go, you're moving to so come over. So I was, I was at the airport in Warsaw and I was um, waiting in security. All the days when you could wait in security at the airport with no mask and those were the days. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting and in front of me was a man dressed in black. And we, he was kind of, you know, he wasn't facing me so I couldn't really see what he was wearing in the front. But Um, we were just kind of having a conversation and then um, I said I was going to London for a Christmas party and so on and so forth and that you know we're going to be moving there and he said he's going there to to visit um, a group and he was kind of being kind of cryptic and then after we had passed security he turned around to get his stuff and I saw that he was a priest and he looked at me he looked at me deep into my eyes and said you be careful there in London because people that go to London tend to leave God behind <laughs> and I thought Okay. Yeah. Right. And that it felt it felt a little bit scary, but <clears throat> what I took from that was that in seeing my personal situation is that I was able to leave behind the old stereotypical ways of thinking that I had become mm. so accustomed to while li living at home and you know being really close to family and you just I just was so in it that I didn't really take the time to think about, is it mine? Mm. Whereas sometimes taking a big leap and going out of your comfort zone, whether it's changing jobs, you know, changing relationships, moving to a new country, it's kind of forced upon us and we have to deal with that situation. And then it causes all sorts of really good changes. 
That's a really sort of really weird thing to say from a priest. <laughs> it was really what I just I'm, I'm desperately trying to recall. Was it something I said in the conversation? <laughs> or maybe he just saw the devil in me. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the question could, now the question could be: Is it is it good or is it bad that you leave "quote unquote" God behind? Um, religion is something that we probably could talk about, you know, on another episode for hours and hours. So for let's sure, let's, yeah. let's not jump in there. Um, I've done my sort of fair bit of thinking and research into into religion, and mm. uh, yeah, let's just leave it there. Um, what what sort of advice could you give to people who have a lot of self-judgment? Because we established that a lot of shame can come from judgment and self-judgment. How can you say we could deal with uh, self-judgment? One of the things, um, and this is as, as speaking as, as, as a human who tends to have these moments, you know, with myself, I think I think we all do. The first thing when I feel I'm being too critical of myself and this is and this is not advice but a suggestion would be to take a look and ask yourself would you ever talk to a good friend like that it's mm, a good one because we tend to be so so hard on ourselves and even if you know we would see a friend coming in and struggling or perhaps you know objectively not being able to to get something done we never are so harsh. Even if we're giving somebody tough love, we're, we still have a lot more compassion. So by asking yourself that question, you're actually being trying to be kind and gentle with yourself and showing yourself compassion and kind of embracing a moment where you say, all right, I'm kind of struggling here. I'm going into that mode where, you know, it's just, just I, this is all wrong today. Everything I touch is just, it's not happening today. I can't even look in the mirror because I don't look good. I don't feel good. You know, it's just not not happening. So really kind of stopping the harsh inner game that really tends to um, turn on with a flip of a lightning of a switch. It's just it's just so immediate to that kind of self-critique that that's that's in there and it it's what Les Brown said in one of his mm -hmm. one of his speeches. He said, "I believe that inherently we we have we are negative. We think negatively about ourselves. So you have to take mm -hmm. a conscious control over your self talk to create a positive mindset. And um, from what you say, um, what's dangerous about the critical self talk and and thinking about you know talking to yourself in a bad way is that mm -hmm. it has the potential to spiral down very quickly is when you start you know you made a mistake or something and, and you start oh my god i'm bad i'm this i always make this mistake i'm useless i'm stupid i'm ugly blah blah blah, blah. and you mm -hmm. don't even realize you find yourself you know uh, swimming in 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 hell uh, proverbial hell in in the depths of of um um, the sort of the most negative thoughts that you can only think of yourself. And I have to say that I can relate to that, even though I'm somebody who went through a period of really heavy um, anxiety, uh, panic attacks, um, you know, substance abuse. I went through mm -hmm. it. And now I know a lot about mental health. It still proves that nobody is nobody is immune to that. We still, I'm still a human and I still have these days when I just want to, you know, when I just spiral down and if you don't catch it soon enough, 
you know, it can lead to really serious um, problems with your mental health, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD, depending on what it is and any other. Mm. So what you say makes a lot of sense, you know, aware, it feels like in all of this awareness is the key element. Yeah, I was I was actually just, just going to say that it's and uh, like I said before, it's it's a lifelong process. It's something mm. that we we kind of become used to. OK, so this is this is how I deal with stuff. This is what I need. This is what I want and so on and so forth. And then we kind of get into another jump into another phase of our lives. And this is the part. This is something in, in regard to self-awareness to look out for when we tend to start to you know go into our specific toolkit to, to make ourselves feel better and when we find that that isn't working for us anymore mm-hmm. that is a really good indicator okay something has changed right what i'm not sure what it is right now but the fact that i was able to help myself cope with when my inner you know criticism was going over to overdrive and that took me to some pretty dark places um, it, it's just not working for me anymore. And it's time to, to reevaluate. So have to take a look at your values. Is, is everything still in line? It's just, it's just an ever-changing process. But one kind of key thing to look at and to, I guess, if I were to ever give any kind of you know, direct advice, is to try in in respect to self-awareness to to try and look at yourself like you would through the lens of a camera which means there are no emotions there's no judgment you just look at what you see and kind of in that respect is i'm having a bad day for example i don't feel well and then kind of take it step by step and build on okay i don't feel well because and looking at the fundamentals, maybe I didn't drink enough, maybe I didn't eat enough, maybe I didn't have um, enough, I didn't get enough sleep, so on and so forth. And if, you know, just kind of ticking all the boxes and kind of getting to, and, it, and it's possible to get there. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of similar to the process of, damn it, I lost my keys, where are they? And you start to think back, when's the last time I had them in my hand? Yeah. <laughs> so on and so forth. But just, just giving yourself that kind of, um, I guess, insight into what a w- self-awareness really is. And it really is observing yourself in a specific moment. It's almost as if you could kind of have an out-of-body out of experience, step out of yourself and take a look kind of, you know, from the side. Okay, I'm not, I feel like this, I feel like that, and so on and so forth. So it's almost like um, when you feel really bad and you have a lot of self-judgment and it spirals out of control, stop for a second and try to unpick it like where is this coming from mm-hmm. where is this coming from this happened because of this and this and this um and i did that in the past and um usually find that um it's something small that triggers you but then you connect yeah. all the other shit shitty things that happen and all of a sudden from a small problem you have this massive problem in your head that annoys you and is eating you um from from the inside Exactly. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is that we tend to link things mm. that and in regard to past negative experiences, past hurts, things that we carry around. And sometimes it's the oddest combination of things and it just pops into our heads and makes us just feel awful. It's kind of like the situation where, you know, you you wake up and you're really angry at your partner 
because you had a dream that she cheated on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? But you know, it, it, we laugh, but it's it, it usually, like you said, it's usually really strangely connected. But to have that, I mean, I guess the key, the key thing is if you have that awareness, if you scratch that, if you practice that awareness, because it's a, it's a question of practicing it on a daily basis. If you practice that awareness, you're gonna be okay. This is kind of the, the way that you'll always be able to navigate yourself. More or less, you'll get there, but you'll be okay if you practice that awareness on a daily basis. Practice makes it permanent, as my uh, trainer used to say. Nice. See, I don't like it when people say practice makes perfect. I totally perfect disagree exist. with that. It doesn't. Absolutely. Done is better than perfect, for example. We usually hide insecurities behind perfection. I want to do this, but I'm waiting for the perfect moment. I'm working on this project, but I can't show anybody until it's perfect. But the reality is that there's underlying fear. So you're afraid of how they're going to react or they that it's not good enough or whatever. Yeah, hmm. because perfect is a veil for not doing. And I think, you know, we could all we can all agree. I've, I've read that recently on um, on LinkedIn and it's just it, it, it just rings so true. It just it seems that perfectionism is this wonderful cloak of invisibility. <laughs> we don't get things done because they're never going to be super awesome. Whereas, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't. Does it really matter if it's super perfect? I mean, it's better to just, I'm not saying half-assed things, you know, always you, you can try your best, but it's about the flow of moving forward and being able to even achieve small amounts of, of success rather than, whoa, the big load. Yeah. What a what a sort of what a journey we've had. We started with with uh, shame. We went through a schooling system. We told of a few religions. Yeah, uh, we we probably are not welcome at the church anymore. Uh, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm personally I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, and and we ended up in perfectionism. Um, just to finish off, I want to ask you about what what are you up to these days? What have you got going? How can people find you if they want to connect? This is your few minutes to plug something in. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> oh, my God. The elevator pitch. Um, well, what I'm doing is I'm running my coaching practice, and I have one-to-one -one sessions with clients, which I absolutely love. Uh, the best way to find me at the moment is through my website, analampart.com. And I have big plans to have more of a web presence um, in regard to doing um, run start start of my blog, but also to start recording things. And hopefully, this experience here will give me a huge boost, kind of more internal boost, to be able to go out and do that. So, if you want to get in touch, please visit my website, and you can send me a message. Uh, we're going to put some links into your website and your social media in the description if somebody will be watching uh, this cool. video. So, yeah, you can find Anna. She's awesome. Uh, she has great curly hair and <laughs> she's, she's, a very, she's a very friendly, awesome coach. Um, Anna, thank you so much for your time today. I had a blast, even though you were going off off topic a lot. But um, that's that's the whole idea for me behind behind the uh, recording podcast is having a really sort of organic, uh, off the script mm -hmm. sort of conversation. So I feel personally like like we had a really good, deep, quality conversation. What would you say? 
I do too. And I have to say that I really enjoy um, going in vast directions and then kind of making specific links at most unexpected moments. And I just think that when you let the conversation free flow, it just opens up new horizons. That's why I'm always, always excited for such situations. I think thinking back to sort of uh, whenever we chat, because we chat quite often on Zoom, mm -hmm. I think it's always the case. We start with something and we just talk about weird, you know, subjects <laughs> about life and, and uh, spirituality yeah. and psychology and coaching and whatnot. Absolutely. And, and we know, one of the things that I really, really, truly value is that even if one of us is, where was I going with this? That never really stops us from going even further. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. There's well, yeah, but th there's, there's no expectation of, of anything. It's just about, you know, being able to come into a space. And this is, this is you know, much like being with, you know, with a good friend or even in a coaching or even any kind, of, any kind of professional relationship. It's about creating space for each other to be able to speak freely and communicate. Absolutely. Which is, which is and, it's, and that's, that's where the really authentic connections are made. Absolutely. What a beautiful way to, to end. So thank you again. Thank you again for your time. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, and thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Awesome. Take care and all the best. Take care to you too. Bye.